You are listening to the Firecracker Podcast with Tony Rico. All right. Good morning. We are back in the studio. You know what I call you, right? When how do I start resident these? Expert. The resident experts. Oh, buddy. <laughs> That's right. Mel and Amanda are back in the studio, and it's been a little while. And uh, you know, there's always interesting things to talk about in our world of softball and how they're all relatable to so many different things. But today, you know, there's a lot of change happening and there's a lot of people talking about, you know, what's happening and. (laughs) That's okay. You have kids. It's all right. This is, you know, even though we're live and we're on 72 countries right now with (laughs) two people in each country watching. (laughs) Only two. I'm sure it's like a. It's not an emergency, right? Nobody fell in the no. pool. Are we all right? Preschool's not calling. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> it's real life here. All right. So uh, honestly, t- talking about um, just a lot of change going on, and there's a lot of topics, and there's things happening in the college world, and, and, and so a lot of the obvious conversations, and we talked earlier about what's going on and what a lot of people are talking about, but I wanted to bring up something that I want to initiate a, a message to our players and really all players of softball because it doesn't fit everybody. Um, but that is, how can you be the one or part of the group that creates the change when something isn't right? So you go into a circumstance and ideally, thinking the way things should be, you go in with a certain expectation. But then I, I, right away I start thinking that if we've prepared you right, it's not going to be ideal. You know there's going to be problems because we've prepared you for real life. But all right, let's say you go in and, and it's... It's not ideal, and it doesn't feel good. And, and trying to understand, well, when do we change? When do we change environments? When do we change relationships? When do we do this? And at what point do you develop or who develops a mindset of, hey, wait a minute. It's not right here. I want to make it right. You know, sometimes that's a, a natural thing. So if I told you, you know, one of my favorite songs is I can change the world with my own two hands. You know, I, I, I consciously want to change the world and make it a better place. But when I think of you two, and the reason I, I, this is very pertinent right now is, is you two both were creators of change in our softball culture. In your own ways, with your own generations. Uh, Amanda, I'll start with you. You know, being able to come up with you and, and, and coach with you and, and kind of watch you grow up in the softball world, but you changed and your generation changed the game as freshmen. And we've mentioned this before as freshmen in high school, you took everything to another level. You changed the way the game was played. You changed the, the watching experience for people watching it. You did the same thing in college. You guys set another standard. Uh, and again, it took it to another level and it made it more enjoyable to watch. It's the evolution of the game to me. I've said this once or twice, but your generation to me is like the league of their own of travel ball and kind of going up to what's happened here. And there should be a, a recognition of that because it was this transition. And then you took it to the USA program and the gold medals and, and created a new standard there. I don't know how much of that was intentional. We want to do this in high school and in college, and I want to ask you about that. And then quickly, I'm going to go over to to Mel. Mel started with an experience in high school where she went to a school that you know was was there. She was there for all the right reasons academically, but it wasn't a great at, uh, athletic uh, or a softball program. Athletically, it was, and. Um, and she refused to let me tell her that they were going to suck and they weren't going to, you know, so she was convinced she was going to create change there and they won their championship by her senior year. And when she, okay, I'll, I'll look at our team. You definitely affected our culture and created a good change on the, in the culture on our team. And then you went to Louisville 
And with you not understanding everything at first and how things worked out, and then now totally understanding why you were at Louisville, and then creating that change there. And now you're coaching, and you're creating change with your coaching. Your culture's on your team. Your culture's on your travel team. The culture on your high school team. You're getting the feedback now from players, which is really rewarding when you know you want to make people feel a certain way, but now you're hearing them say that. You're, you're feeling that they're feeling that way. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's what I want to start off talking a little bit about is the fact that you two really helped change our culture for the better. And everything wasn't perfect back then. So I'll start with you, Amanda. Was that, did you know you were doing that? Was was the change happening just as a result of who you were and how you were playing? Were you conscientious of any of what was happening? And if you were, at maybe at what point? Maybe by the Olympic team or anything like that? I mean... Yeah, you know, it, I don't think that I was really aware of the change until probably seeing the transition from the 2000 Olympics to that 2001, 2002 kind of a year because there was a definite shift in coaching culture and athlete and all that. But growing up, it really, we didn't know any better. That's just kind of how we were, who we were surrounded with. And so yeah, now if someone's did. to ask you, so then why do you think it changed things? Now, looking back at that group that you were part of and the mentality of the way you played, you know, the story is that it did change. So in asking you now, why do you think it did? I have my opinions, but you know, what was it about your group that changed the way things were done? Think about your 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 peers, your competitors. You know, I always think I often bring up like even Erica Beach, right? Who wasn't yeah. on the Olympic team, but but held her ground with you guys and was every bit as good or valuable as I used to love to watch the way she would just pitch and attack things. And that's what I mean about it was a generation of players. Oh, but yeah. do you think it was had a lot to do with the way you played, the way you played the game, like just. Like in, in terms of what, like I don't see the I don't see the I don't remember the stress levels. I don't well, remember the anxiety so levels. The first you guys are really competitive. Thing that came to my mind when you were talking about the whole beginning and the change and the stress of the game was always there, you know. But I feel like there were more girls on the team that were able to find a calm in it and not. Um, not get so quick into the fight or flight. I don't know if that makes sense, but different different kind of stress than today. Yeah, different kind of a stress and we were all very competitive and you know, you felt it within the team, you felt it, you know, across, you know, with your opponents and everything, but um it wasn't it wasn't the kind of stress that I feel like is going on today. Do you think less fun disappeared from the game back then? It seems like a lot of the fun disappears for especially some of the older players now through the stresses yeah. and things like that. But I ever... when I think of your generation, it, it took a long time, maybe even college or something before certain stresses and anxieties were hitting, but it was just, it was really good to watch. And and part of that story is, well, again, I found the inside, it's kind of like a good actor. Well, no, we're kind of, kind of broken, but we were able to pull it off. But no, I really felt like you guys played the game the right way. Uh, college setting. Was there a point in college where College World Series, uh, the, back to the Olympic team, where you, it was kind of a pinch yourself? It was like, no, we are doing this. So the the crowds coming to watch the games, the exhibitions, the the lines of autographs, starting to be like, look, we are influencing people here. I mean, was there ever a kind of a pinch moment, or was it when it was all done? I, th I think a little bit of both. It was fun because, like you said, that culture of girls. We had such a good group of especially that senior class, the one that I, I mean, I remember our senior class and it felt like 
I knew everybody, everybody was, you know, on the top of their game and everyone dispersed into the top level programs in college. And we kind of all ran into each other across the road, but it was a really good group of influencers that I think also joined cultures where they were able to change and it helped, you know, there were the years ahead of us also that kind of paved that way that also helped bring like that freshman year into perspective and keep the calm in the cultures. And uh, it when we went to the World Series, it's not like it was, but it was definitely growing and people were lining. We didn't have the stands. It was the berms in the outfield and right. people were coming to watch. Right. right yeah. Right. TV was just starting to get to be a little bit more popular. We had, you know, a couple games during the year on TV and then maybe three or four um, including the championship game at the World Series, but now it's. You Do you know, remember the, the 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 size of the crowd back then in your championship game? I want to say it was maybe like 15. 10, 10, 15. Yeah. And now they've expanded the stand, so it's twenty five, oh, yeah, something like yeah. that. So yeah. yeah, yeah, that that you know, to me, it's it's watching that evolution, and then Mel going over to your side of you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about you didn't really go into these programs to change them. No, not at all. I think but it was just you had like, ambition. Yeah, because I I wanted to be successful. So that means everybody around me. I like I'm not a one person show. So everybody around me had to want the same thing. If I ultimately was going to have that success, if those around me aren't there, then I'm not going to have that success that I wanted. I think it's important for people. You know, I know uh, parents and coaches are going to be mostly listening to this podcast. If any of our players were listening to this, listening to this. And I'm presenting examples of, of people that have a certain mindset. It's not to say, oh, you guys should be this, you should be Amanda, and you should be a male, because instantly people don't want it. I'm presenting you as an example to just hear your thoughts. So someone has that example to say, look, if that strikes a chord and goes, you know what? I like what she's saying. People patting yourself after this. You know, the, the big takeaway from this podcast would be, be the change, you know, for you to be the one that maybe look at yourself a little bit differently. So when I go back into your story right now, that's what I want people to understand is we're hearing your testimony so that they can reflect back on themselves. How do I look at it when things aren't good for myself, right? So why not when you were uh, in high school? Why, why didn't you look at all the things that were wrong and throw your hands up in the air and say, we can't do this? Was that not a natural thing you did or? No, I, uh, I think like there's just a lack, of, like a lack of a fear for failure for me. And I think that that was from like instilled in me from like a long time ago. And so I never really kind of feared the failure of it that that comes naturally with our sports. So it was, yeah, like I can go in here, like I can do this. Like, so did you really see a championship in your mind by the time you left or, or absolutely. something close like, to it? To me, I, I don't believe that like I, you know, we've lost games 18 to nothing. Like that wasn't, it's not like it never like happened. Like it happened in a year we took second place in league which was my very first year. So it was like we would lose one and nothing in the same team and then come back and lose 18 or nothing. Like So it, it was just how the ball fell that day, right. to be quite honest. And, you know, and it was just the natural acceptance of the fact, like, we're going to have games like that. There are teams more talented. But then, look, at the end of the day, you don't always need to be the more talented one on the field at that given day. We can beat anybody one time. We Big point for coaches to take away because I, I, I talk to coaches a lot about you, you try to be aware of yourself when you don't realize you're playing to not lose. It's like we see batters all the time hitting to not fail. Yeah, We see uh, kids in school all the time taking tests, stressed out. Their finals a couple of weeks ago, stress, stress. Okay, normal stress, then imbalanced stress. They're, they're, trying, they're, they're afraid they're going to get a B. 
You know, they're trying not to fail. Instead of in an 18 nothing loss, if you really have looked at the process and enjoyment of playing, which I guess you have to experience this, you know, and yeah. coach a team that's not real successful winning-wise to find a different win. Because I absolutely believe you can find a win, but you have to redefine it. If you go in and you're mad because you're competitive and you're getting smoked 18 nothing. You missed it. And I can say, watching Mel, you've never coached for a result. You coach for an experience. And that's how your culture is built. I well, think that's I, a real big point. You're not coaching to not yeah. lose. Well, I also think, like, it also came from, I would say, like, again, like, our senior class my first year of high school is, I'm not mad at my teammate because she made an error. I'm not getting frustrated at her. Like, it's like, hey, I got you. Like, there's, I think, a like, a camaraderie in a sense that I think kids lack. They get frustrated and they get mad at their teammates. And I was like, I can't say that I've gotten mad at my teammate for just messing up on the field. And so it snowballs. And I, you know, I look at some of my kids, you know, in a reflection, I'm like, do I, am I that example? Like, am I getting mad at you for, like, something, like, physical? Like, the ball took a hop and I'm like, oh, like, how could you do that? To where you're, like, you get kids yelling at other kids coaching other kids and i was like never in my playing career have i ever looked at a kid like you need to do it this way like and i think that's a really interesting point because you have a lot of competitive fire yeah and a lot of people do and and that it didn't translate like that how how, how are you like you're really competitive but if a teammate or in elementary school someone didn't kick the ball hard enough or but not really nothing i know I, i i wasn't really like i didn't compare in that way you know i'd I don't know. For me, sometimes it was hard to just keep excelling because I did see that there was a little bit of a, a divide in like talent with some, and it's. How about pitching and 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 you know you're throwing out one hitter and a couple errors and. It's you know. That's normal. <laughs> it's and it's frustrating. Like I remember going into the seventh inning, and you know in high school throwing a changeup, getting a routine ground out to shortstop that wasn't quite charged com- enough or made or, you know. And but it, a competitive frustration. You wouldn't say anything to that. It's a competitive frustration. I would never say anything. And <clears throat> I think Excuse me. I think the, the best compliment that I could ever get was, like, my character as a teammate and not, like, how good I was or my talent or anything like that. And I think the hardest thing, because we had the stresses of the game, just like yeah. they do today. They're different, but there were still stresses. The hardest thing to do is to to not to be that person who can um just put your head down and do what you got to do and be that sort of an influence on your teammates instead of like the director of what needs to go right instead of telling yeah. people what to do set the example of yeah. how to do it I would and never, lead, lead by example I would exactly. never coach my teammate right. you know there's right. ways to encourage and to f- give feedback but I would never coach I would never you know the words don't do this or do this never came out of my mouth to a teammate and for me, I felt my responsibility was always just to be the example, you know, and if right. the wheel started to fall off, like be some sort of calm, you oh, know, like, I wish I was both of you. I'd be like, he's not, I'd be like, I'm not telling you what to do because I, I need to tell you what to do. I'm telling you what to do because you don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just, in my mind, it made perfect sense. But I was the guy. So again, I'll put this in context for if anybody's listening that's not happy where they're at. You're not happy where you're at, uh, with where you're at, and you want to be a little something different as a coach or a parent. Listen, I'm the poster boy for change because I was the one that punched <laughs> girls in the arms if they didn't kick the ball hard enough. Or and and why it wasn't. I was in my heart, I loved them, but I wasn't accepting certain things, and I didn't know how to handle that. 
I didn't know how to handle my you not living up to an expectation. I heard that from the teacher. He expects so much of people around him that when they don't meet a standard, he punches oh, it, them in the arm. It's, I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it gets frustrating. Like it, it totally is. Like, and I'm trying to think about, like, think back. It's like absolutely. Like, there's so like I know a te- like there's a game I was talking about. I had a teammate turn around and say something on the field. And I couldn't help but laugh because it was everything I was feeling. And I was just like, and then a teammate's like, you can't say that. I was like, somebody needed to. Like, it was so bad. Well, and every now and then there is that moment where, right. And, you know, like for me, like I couldn't have not, I couldn't have been the one to ever say something on the field or ever, you know, do that. And I just, the I, I watch kids. I'm like, you can't tell somebody what to do unless you're doing everything absolutely perfect. No one's gonna listen to yeah. you. Like it, yeah. it's just not like that. But you can lead. You can lead by example. Sure. You can have a good time, and you can be the best. And then people are like, oh, I, I want that. Like yeah. You're I had to come in in tune with the fact that I I'm empathetic extremely, but I had to learn how to manage that. So you know, look at the position I'm in right now, <laughs> which is again when I tell people, look, the good news is that look, if I can change things enough to have a little bit of success, boy, don't tell me you can't because I'll, I'll bet I'll take on anybody that you're not worse than me, you know, as far as the <laughs> things that you needed to learn for yourself. And, and that's, and I want that to be good news for people because, you know, change is something that it's not going to happen if you're not inspired. We were talking about this a little bit earlier too. I don't want to blame. I don't want, I want to have a conversation and we sit here and talk about everything that's wrong with softball and people. Um, but I changed that word into responsibility. So I, I say all the time to players, it's not your fault. It's not your fault that this game got twisted. It's, there's, this game evolved into a beautiful thing, and now it's a business, and it's, it's money, revenue for television stations. It's a lot of things. And it's not your fault that us, we, parents and coaches who love you and are so well-intended, and we want to provide for you what you need, but we're not really equipped to do it. And all of a sudden now the kids are victimized because of a lack of training, not because of lack of effort or in, uh, intent, good intent, but they're just kind of missing it. Yeah. So if we take the responsibility, coaches and parents, um, about learning with ourselves and preparing them for different things so that we can inspire them, you know, inspiring other parents and coaches to want to change the things that they, that they can and Kind yeah. of like that there's an adage there, right? And grant me the serenity and all that stuff. But I want to inspire. So do you consciously inspire your teams right now? Or are you focused on uh, a culture and an environment and more, I want to say, anal or obsessive about that? And then your kids end up buying in. What's What's got to the point to where, and listen, uh, uh, disclaimer that not everything's all perfect all the time. But at this point, you've done a good job with some cultures. I love it. Well, and I would say, like, I was the first one, like, probably not to buy in, like, I'll like about a, like a culture and not kind of realizing that like I you know what I like come in I understand certain things about the game and I'm like I want to develop I want to win I want to do those things like that's you know probably definitely me five years ago but realizing like the kids these days they want to have a good time and if like I want to have a good time too too I want to enjoy myself and just realizing that fact if we both have a good time we can be productive and then we can create some structure of what they what they need and like so again, being the example. If I'm not that example, they're not going to fall in suit. So why is a good time important? You understand competitiveness. You're a two-time All-American Conference Player. That you understand the importance of, of working hard, and mm-hmm. you've and you went from the bottom of the weight room to the top of the weight room, and you've yeah. done all this stuff that people put and hang on their their hats on. You know, the main part of what you need to be 
but you're talking about having fun. Why is that important? Because I think at the end of the day, when I was at my best, someone someone pointed this out to me at 21. I had finished college. I had done really well. And they were like, you know, when you're at your best, when you're playing your best, you're smiling, you're out there, you're enjoying yourself. And when you're not, like, you're more serious. And so I realized, like, for me, I still have to enjoy this game and enjoy the p- competitiveness of this game. You're going to see me smile out on the field. Whether it's a one nothing game or a fourteen nothing game, like it doesn't, you're gonna see the same thing. And that was that was what I didn't realize fully when I played until someone brought it up to me. Right, right. I, I love it. And what would you say um, as far as how you look at it, and you know where it comes from in the inside of you, like being inspired. You know, um, we talk sometimes about instructing and giving lessons, giving lessons, you know, day after day. And and all of a sudden, I remember being in here when I would give the six hours of lessons. And if I hadn't eaten right, literally the walls would start to change colors. <laughs> like I could look at the wall and if I stared at the wall long enough, it would, I don't know what happened to my eyes. And almost feel like I'm just giving another lesson right now and I'm not mm-hmm. inspiring. So what, what inspires you? Where do you find that? I mean, you you played the game in a way where... It's not that you were smiling all the time, but you enjoyed what you're doing. Did you ever have to learn to enjoy it more or be conscious of it? You know what? Yes. Looking back at my career, I wish I always loved the game. Like I don't, there were points where it got really hard and I really thought about like, is this what I want to be doing? Yeah. Like this is, this is hard when it started to become a business. And for us, it was more in college where it was full time. I wasn't playing soccer and volleyball and breaking it up and having breaks. Like it was a full time job and it got really hard, but I always loved the game when I was playing it. I wish I would have expressed that more outwardly. You know, like in the circle, I loved being competitive. I loved winning, but I didn't allow myself to show how much I loved it. Um, And that's hard. It's hard to kind of contain that sometimes. And I wonder, and I think back, God, if I would have really just let myself be, you know, who I felt on the inside and express it outwardly, I feel like I could have been a lot better than I was um, a better teammate because they would have seen the joy, just different things like that. You know what I think of? Your, Your Rawlings poster. When that Rawlings poster came out, that's such a beautiful smile that you have. And you turn around. It's not competitive, Amanda. You had this look on your face. And it's not that you're, you're smiling in between pitches. Just enough of that in between to know that in that moment, you're actually, I guess, savoring the moment while you're there, right? Yeah. And, and when you're in the competitive moment, making things happen at this extremely high level, it doesn't go hand in hand with a savor the moment type things. Uh, you remember our, our players would be at second base. Big game and the sunsets, you know, it's time for the sunset and the sky's turning color. And I'm about to give a sign and girl second base would point at the sky. And part of me like, what the, wait a minute, I taught you that. Like, that's pretty cool. We're here we are having a moment. And you just said, hey, wait a minute, check the sky out. Like, that's pretty cool. That's not, you know, and that wasn't natural for me. I had a brother that taught me those things. And I think, I think that's important. It's important. So how do we inspire our players? How do we inspire, you know, the coaches that we coach with? We see a lot of people that the majority aren't happy enough. They want to be happier, want to have more peace. They want a better experience. It's not like I'm seeing 80% of the people in softball going, yeah, we got this figured out. And there's a couple of us don't, don't. So many people are trying to figure it out. So how do we inspire people? How do you, you know, it's not easy, especially your own checks and balances when you don't realize that you kind of lost your own inspiration. How can you be good for others, right? So is there anything that you do, anything that you're doing personally, trying to find yourself, me? I don't know. I talk about meditate a lot, but I don't do it. Maybe I should. Honestly, like, 
for me, for as competitive as I am, like in my last weekend playing with my team, we were terrible. And I actually, I attributed to that. Like part of that was a reflection of me. And I like after the game, I was like, like this is this is me. Like you guys reflected me today. And just really, I think honestly, taking ownership for for us and just like realizing the fact that the kids do feed off us. And so your kids are a reflection of you for the most part, generally speaking. And when you when you feel like you're in a good place, your kids are probably in a good place. They're more comfortable to be themselves and play how they want to play. And I think just allowing each kid to not fit into this perfect mold that they have to be something and just allowing right. them to be them. Right. That's important. And they, and they, you, they, they know when you're faking it. Absolutely. So you can't come off phony to them, and you can't wear that hat all the time. Sometimes you have to say, hey, look, you know, I'm going to take this hat off. Look, you're going to hear a little something. If I was a person that didn't have boundaries for me, here's what I would be saying in these situations. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but I think that's important because we're teaching them. Yeah. And, and isn't it true, like you think, when somebody loses their inspiration, like kind of what goes through their mind, they're, they're, they're kind of tired of their situation. They're tired of a routine. They're tired of something. So what do you say that someone's... Uh, someone who's lost their inspiration. The first thing I thought of with you is, how do you recharge? <laughs> you get on a plane and you go to Paris for three <laughs> days, and you, and so you really, in the end, when something's weighing you down here with work or just normal life, you really could self reflect and go, well, wait a minute, what am I going to say that I'm I'm kind of stuck in a rut or this yeah. or that? You know, now in a situation where you give yourself to parenting and you have a family, you don't have that freedom to do that, so you might have to find that differently. I'm still in a a process for that, you know, whether it used to be music or something like that. So like, where are you in that battle for inspiration or find it? Or have you found certain outlets or? Yeah, I have, but it's just a matter of executing, yeah. you know, like, like, think, everybody. like anybody. Yeah. yeah. It, I, for me, it's just balance. And I think that's, if everybody really looks at, you know, your life and when you're on top of your game, you know, softball game, life game, you have a really nice balance of maybe it's your spiritual life with taking care of yourself with your family and softball. There's just got to be a nice equal balance. And I think that we sometimes we shift too heavily one side or the other. It's either got to be vacation or it's yeah. we're heavy softball or we're into finals or there's never really a, a true balance. So I feel like even in the game and for as competitive and as nonstop as we feel like we are, we can still find a balance in that with playing and in practice and mixing it up. And I, I think when I get in my ruts, it's because I'm in that same routine, you know, and it's, it's hard to pull out of it. But as a coach, you know, just being able to mix things up at practice and give the girls an opportunity to be goofy and have fun and be competitive, but not the judgmental kind of competitive. But then you flip that switch and then we're going to have the competitive side of practice. Or sometimes you go to team bonding instead of, Doing yeah. that normal five hour mix on the up. field. Right. Yeah, just mix it up. And then you have the games. You have the games you work on, the games you work on for you know competitive purposes. But there's a way within your normal routine also to not break that routine, but also to figure out a better balance, I think, that works sure. for everybody. Sure. Because it, it's real life. I mean, things aren't going to be perfect. But you Absolutely. say you don't have the, the time to get away for four days. Go for a walk. Listen, you know, you are what you hang out with, right? So if you're going to – like I, I, I Tell our, our, our players if, you know, I don't know, relationship ended or something. I said, if you're going to go listen to six hours of sad songs, I pretty much know you're, you're not going to be real enjoyable after that. So, you know, okay, so, all right, reflect and listen to your favorite song. But, but be careful of hanging around a lot of people that are talking about something negative all day long. So when we talk to our players about, um, 
you know, just general advice of rooming with non-softball players and, and some people just because, enthusiast. you know, even if it's great, get away, have some breaks in your environment. When you live with the people you work with, you, you and, and it gets, that's, that's really hard when you're a parent and you want to be a professional parent for softball, but you're around your kids all the time. So talking to your parents out there, you almost have to start the conversation with, hey, we're going to have a business talk right now. So I know yesterday you heard me going off because the yard wasn't done or this or that, or but, but we're going to have a talk about like your college trips right now. And I don't want it to have the same um, energy as when I was talking about not doing your chores yesterday because that was more of a futility thing as a parent. But this is, we need to put this hat on and talk about, look, have you made your choices? Do you need some help? Do we need to reach out, outsource, something like that? And you try to put that hat on first. If you can enter that conversation then again, you're not weighing things down. And then part of that is to interject just a little change in your routine. Yeah. So whether a, a, a husband and wife learn to take a night off and go for a date night and get the sitter or something, just break up your routine, give yourself, go for an ice cream, do something, but break it up a little bit and don't allow yourself to just get buried because there's always something good in life, you know, whether it's something to inspire you or something to put things in perspective. You were going to say something? No, no, no. I like going, like going back even with that with my kids is just like, like and I think with some of our, like some of our parents are. I think it's sometimes more the parents and sometimes it's more the kids. Like I, I hear from certain parents, which like more than I hear from the kid. And I always, I want to hear from the kid. I coach from 15 years old all the way up. So like I got a lot of seniors and I got a lot of juniors. They're gonna go. They're gonna be with other parents, and I want to hear from them. And I still get the phone calls like, well, you know, and I'm like. I want to hear from your kid, like allowing kids to have that responsibility, allowing them to put that on the plate. So then when you said like coming back to being able to have a conversation about colleges and stuff like that, we're going to have this type of tone. Did you handle your responsibilities? Okay, good. Now, you know, moving on, I don't think we're giving, I think we're putting kind of sometimes the wrong things on their plate versus the things that they need. And we, and we do that with, with, not for a lack of good intention, yeah. we're, oh, we, yeah. we're well-intended, but we don't realize, it's like a checks and balances. So now, you know, our, my final message from us to, to, again, hopefully this getting to our players is that, look, know that if you're fortunate enough to have been raised a certain way, and not everybody is, but if you were fortunate, capture that right now. Don't realize it when it's too late. You've been fortunate to uh, have an aunt, an uncle, a teacher, a pastor, a coach, play for a team. Uh, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, you have been part of something that actually taught you values and it and it prepared you for something. And maybe not, didn't tell you, I'm preparing you for adversity and I'm preparing you for stress, but you realize that you have been in that. Take some ownership of that. You're going to need it. I don't think times are going to get any easier. Yeah. Uh, hold on to that and realize that you've got some... some um, some resiliency. Realize that you've got a, a, a thicker skin. Realize that you can take it. If you're a firecracker, my gosh, I mean, what's the name that you've built, helped build for this name? And really you go into like what you've built for the sport. That generation is that you're resilient, that you're tough. Our name means something because of all of your generations of players and what you had to earn, what you had to go through. And when I go through the league of their own, their own example for you, you guys set the standard and came up. And realizing that people are going to go through that. Now I want our players to realize that, look, I'm prepared. Why, why, why is it why is it that I got to go through Navy SEAL training or I've got to be certified as this? Why can't we certify them? Why can't that training be here? And then, you know, what is a mercenary? You know, 
single person going in against all odds and accomplishing some type of task or mission. I used to tell our girls, I go, look, you're like the beautiful mercenary that you're going to go in in a third world country. And first of all, the guy that's killing everybody is going to have to fall in love with you before you save the world. And so you're going in knowing the adversity, knowing what could be wrong, knowing what happens if you mess up, like an undercover police officer or something, like if they just get detected, they're dead, right? But you go in and I'm going to do this. So I would love for our players to look at it as, look, we're being equipped to understand how life works, to understand ourselves first, understand how life works. And then we go in and we, just like you hear in operations, we go in, we assess the situation, we make decisions. And hey, don't worry, when I need to get out, I'll hit the button, come get me, yeah. right? Come get me, it's bad, I'm gonna, but not, I don't like it here. So I wanna prepare you for that kind of thing. And, and how can you incorporate that in your coaching? You're gonna have some coaching experience because that's part of it, teaching the game, we have a lot to teach, right? I just do this. Uh, boring. Like, talk about body parts and how to play softball. And we know how important all that is. But if that's the experience that you're creating, in the end, what's the takeaway? What is the player really taking away from you going home going, she talked about my front shoulder, yeah. you know, instead of she talked about, she hears us all the time, what it was like in the College World Series, like what it was like facing, you know, Janie Finch in the USA tryouts, what it was like. And you give these relatable stories. And in the end, if I can work with you two, we can work with a couple of parents, a couple of coaches, and we're doing this. And we make the softball world um, a little more prepared. I don't want to say tougher. I think, honestly, I think sometimes what happens too is I think they are prepared. They are resilient. They're just not allowed yeah. to be that. They don't realize it? Yeah. I think that, like, I, I would say, like, just as a reflection for some of my kids, I'm like, I tell them, I was like, I'm going to let you fall on your face, and I'm going to let you keep doing it to the point that I think that maybe you can't handle it, and then I'll pull you back. You're going to be fine, but you have to get to that point and then realize you're going to be okay, and they are. Some kids run and fall on their face. I saw hers do it about four or five times <laughs> yesterday, and some kids, you have to go, go, go try it, and they huh. take it a step at a time. It's a natural type thing. Absolutely. So... You know, was when when Jack or Addie fell down, was was initially was it like, Oh, are you okay? Or was it a hey, get up? Because by now it's gotta be like, get up, she'll be fine. Like she'll she'll bleed for a minute and then she'll stop she's stopping her own bleeding now. Like, how was that? Because you know, some parents overreact to you and then the kid feeds off of that reaction and the kid starts crying. So oh, I didn't totally. even hurt. You just look so Tell me well, about it's, mother. It's tell just me about funny motherhood. How you don't, you never know how you're going to be as a parent, you know. And at first, you think you're going to break them, you know, if you move wrong. And then it takes a little while to be okay with them getting hurt, but then realizing, like, dang, kids are really resilient. Like they just pop back up. So we started <laughs> to let them go a little bit more and a little bit more, and pretty soon we were hardly paying attention. But you start to understand, like, when you need to go in. You know, and they're, yeah. what, three and four, almost five. So obviously we're, like, attentive parents. But, it, I mean, they've been to the ER accidentally, obviously. But we do push the limits with them. And it's so much – but it's so much fun to What's the first time you're in the ER? What, 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 what age? What first trip to the ER for you? Not me. No never, never been to the ER? Uh, actually, no, that's true. I had, no, I have, actually. I was trying to climb a fence and I fell on a – I was trying to climb like the fence and I slipped and I fell and I hit my head on the stone fence. So I need like five stitches in my head after that one. I literally walked home like, like I hit a stone fence. My head hurts a little bit and my hair is like bright red. My mom's like, what happened? Well, I like would try to climb this thing and she's like, Melissa. Like just like. (laughs) I sound like her. That's funny. How about you? First trip to the ER. Um, I think I was about, 
oh, I'd have to double check, six or so, and I was roller skating or rollerblading around the corner in the house, and my <laughs> skate flipped out and it hit the corner of the wall, and I got some, I got some stitches. I think I, if it was, I don't know, I think the first couple cuts on my head, if it was three or four stitches, I think that was just, I, I didn't go to the ER for that. My mom just put a handkerchief on my head and let it heal oh, up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mine I, was four, broke my arm at four. Oh. Was, See, I didn't was. break any bones, but it was like, not that I wasn't rough or like, you know, ran my, didn't run my bike into a tree or anything like that. It was just like, quit crying, you'll be fine. Like, it was just like, like I remember learned, like when my dad first took the wheels off my bike, I'm like going, I'm going, and I go dead into a tree, and the handlebars like shift and like go straight in my stomach, and I'm like hysterical, and he's like, "Just get up, you're gonna be fine." Like, and it's just like, okay. I did that first try on a mini bike, first time on a <laughs> sled. Like, I always ended up into a tree or something like that. It wasn't good. Um, I think it's. I was in the emergency room. You're talking about. Uh, I, I liken myself to like how your kids are. So your kids, fireman, they're ready, running all over the place. So I don't know at what point if my mom even ever watched me. I mean, she's a great mom, but there's no way you could have kept an eye on me yeah. all the time. And so I break my arm. She didn't even. I, I got put in another car, so she didn't even see me till I was in the emergency room. So I remember I'm on the gurney, I'm looking up, and my mom peers over. And I see her face look down at me, and I got my bone like sticking out of my arm. Oh, buddy! And my mom looks at me and goes to my dad, Johnny, give me your handkerchief. <laughs> <laughs> Takes his handkerchief and she spits at it, and starts cleaning my face because she was embarrassed of how dirty I was. Like, <laughs> and I remember having my, you know, like it. when your your maybe your mom was brushing your hair or something like that, and they're just kind of pulling all over. Remember when I was watching Roxanne when the kids was like, I go, man, they're like dogs or something. She was just wiping my face down. My mom was never really that aggressive, and I just kept thinking she's really embarrassed. Like this is, I must be really dirty. <laughs> <laughs> and and my arms, arms like, over here like that, oh. and I just remember I just felt a little bad because my mom was like, give me the handkerchief, and you know, no, in a dignified I, manner. I feel like I just got like for me as a kid, like it's just like if I got hurt, it's too much pride. Like, like once after like after once probably got about eight. You're too much pride to try to cry or anything. Like, no, I'm gonna suck it. I won't be just like, get back up. Just get back yeah, up. I'm all right. Up. I'm fine. Wobble I'm fine. a little bit, but I'm all like, right. You trip. You're like ankle. You're like can't go. I'm fine. I'm fine. And you're like dying on the inside. Just, just yeah, dying. That's funny. So, all right. Thanks, guys. We'll wrap this up. But uh, yeah, listen. Think about it, people. All right. I won't even say it's Captain Obvious can point out everything that's wrong. You ever have a coach like when you point your finger at somebody? <laughs> you know what I'm gonna say? No, but more people when you are point your finger, you? when you point your finger at somebody, you're pointing three at yourself. Oh, yeah. So rather than point, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? Be the change. Be th- think about it. Are you equipped? Have you been given? To, why do you like hanging out with somebody? Why do you like going to that place? Well, it's because somebody's created that environment. So you be that. We've trained that. We're we're an influencing type organization. Influencing type people. Learn from those that you're you're around and take responsibility. And in the end. It's a different type of fulfillment than hitting a home run or winning a game, but it's long-term gratification, and it works. And uh, so I appreciate you coming in, and we'll have you back in, I'm sure, soon and shortly. So, all right, you guys take care. All right. 